Hey, if I got, haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Cody Wason. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and uh, so excited to be with you. I told you last week I'll say that every time I get up here, because I am. I'm excited anytime we gather as a church. Uh, I'm excited to continue our series, but before I do, I just want to um, kind of uh, give my own little shout out to that last announcement there, um, the uh, Discipleship School Open House and the Interest Meeting. Um, so, of course, the interest meeting, Sunday uh, the 17th, if you have any interest at all, want to learn more, I uh, would encourage you to come. You'll get to meet the, the directors of the school, maybe some staff. You'll get to uh, get some of your questions answered. And then the open house, which is uh, Saturday, March 16th, uh, here's what I wanted to say about it. So it is an open house to anyone that has any interest in the school. Um, we, of course, would love you to come. You're going to get to experience uh, what a class is like. Um, but also, I want to open it up to the church at large. If you have already done the school, or if you don't feel like God's initiating with you to do the school this year, I would still encourage you to come. We are excited uh, and honored to have um, a guest speaker coming from YWAM. So YWAM is Youth with a Mission based out in Hawaii, and um, they've been a partner with the Antioch Movement since the beginning. And we're honored to have Dan Bauman coming out to speak. If you don't know who he is... Do you all you know who that is? Oh, wow. I think some of you just went with the crowd there, um, but way to go. Um, but Dan Bauman, uh, he's been with YWAM for quite a while. He's an author. He's written three books. He travels and speaks, and, and he shares his testimony of what God's done in his life um, through a life of just saying yes to Jesus. I don't want to spoil it, um, but I will throw this out there. He did get imprisoned in the Middle East, and he will talk about the story of God releasing him from prison. It is a powerful story. I was on the phone the other day with Dan talking about this moment. I said, hey, I'm going to get up in front of the church. What do you want me to tell them that you're going to, to bring or do uh, or speak on? And uh, after if you, this won't be that funny if you don't, haven't met Dan, but after a few minutes, the, the, he just ended with, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. Is that okay? And I was like, well, yeah, that's okay. I didn't know if you wanted me to share anything. He's like, no, just tell him I'm going to talk about living life with Jesus. So I want to extend an invitation church-wide, Saturday, March 16th, 6 p.m. Okay. Well, hey, we are still in the We the Kingdom series. I promise you it is coming to an end. Uh, just a few weeks left. We've been in here since the beginning of the year. Um, but I feel like this is a series that, that, that if we don't uh, initiate to end, it could go on forever. Just talking about what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom. Um, and that, that's what this series has been all about. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom? Should that affect the way we live our life? And if so, how? And I don't know um, how many of you were able to be here last week when we had a guest speaker, Drew Stedman from Antioch Waco with us, um, gave a powerful message on rewiring how we think about submission. Uh, if you didn't, if you haven't checked it out yet, I would highly encourage you to listen to it. It is powerful. Um, and I want to kind of follow suit tonight. I want to talk about rewiring how we think about a subject that for some of us we think about too much and for some of us we don't think about enough. And that is the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. So even as I say that, even, even as I just introduce the topic for tonight, there's like a little heartbeat flutter in there because we don't typically enjoy talking about fear in relation to God. We love talking about, or I love talking about the love of God and the relationship of God and Jesus and how much he loves for us. But the, 
fear uh, of God is something that is, it can, it, just like submission, it can feel a little weird uh, to talk about. And that's why I think tonight we need to be rewired in how we think about the fear of God, because if we don't have a correct understanding and revelation of the fear of God, I don't think we can have the correct and full revelation of the love of God. So we have to have both. That's where we're going tonight. You with me? Okay. So I don't know um, if this is a, t- if maybe when I said that fear of God or fear of the Lord, you're like, man, I, I've read this all over scripture. I'm all about it. I'm all about the fear of the Lord. Good for you. And I think there's a lot of people in the room that maybe are less familiar with the topic or less familiar with it biblically. I just want to start out by saying the fear of the Lord and, and, and the, our, the biblical admonition for us to live in the fear of the Lord is all over Scripture. Uh, I want to give just a couple examples um, out of the, the Proverbs and the Psalms. So the first one, Proverbs 19. There we go. Uh, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Next one, Julie. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. And then uh, I believe it's Psalm 34. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. So there is a clear admonition, and Scripture paints a picture for us that to fear the Lord is for our benefit. To fear the Lord is a good thing. And tonight I want to talk about a, a few aspects of the fear of the Lord because I think we have to, if we're going to have a correct understanding and a correct revelation of the fear of God, we have to differentiate that the godly fear is much different than human fear. And if we don't, if we don't have that baseline, we'll never rewire our brains to correctly understand and walk in godly fear. So I want to tell you, we're going to go to Scripture, but I want to tell you a personal story uh, that kind of illustrates this. In 2005, I found myself, 16-year-old Cody found himself in the countryside of Albania, which is a small uh, uh, European country, and I was there with my youth group. To this day, I don't know how my little youth group from little Woodstock, Illinois, found our way to Albania, but we did. And uh, on our off day, our free day, we went hiking in the foothills. Um, and when I say foothills, I mean foothills. They call them mountains. But since living here in Utah, that has been redefined for me. So their mountains were our foothills. And so we spent a, a day, we were going to go on a hike in the foothills. And so what ended up happening is me and two of my best buds found ourselves um, separated from the group by our own choice. We thought we would impress the group we thought we'd impress specifically the ladies of our youth group by rebelling and not sticking with the group. You guys, all the men can probably identify with, for some reason, for a lot of us, at least in our teenagers, hopefully we got out of it, but we thought that to impress a girl, you had to break the rules and be rebellious. This is, my rebellious was like, I'm going to go ahead of the group, and they will all love me for it. That was my mindset. So, so me and two of my buddies, we, we break off from the group. We, we actually run ahead to get away from the group. And we find ourselves up in the, in the uh, foothills of Albania by ourselves, just three 16-year-old guys. And we're just wandering through, uh, trying to stick to this path the best we can. 
Now, we were told that there was concrete bunkers all throughout the countryside that the government of Albania had built decades before when the country was in the midst of a civil war. So we assumed we'll get to a bunker, and that will probably be a natural stopping point for the, for the hike. So we get to a concrete bunker, we stop, and we wait for about 10 minutes, and we still don't see our group. We, we get bored, and we decide, let's just keep going. So we keep going and going and going, and eventually we get to, like, we cannot go any further up than this. We have ascended the hill. And to, there was a little bit above us that we couldn't get to around the face of the hill. So we're camped out here, and it was just like a scene from a movie. We're sitting there. We're kind of tired at this point. We're regretting the decision to run. We don't have water. We're tired, all these things. And one of us says, hey, do you hear that? And we all fall silent. And then the next one of us says, yeah, what was that? And then I think it was my turn to yell run. Because what we heard coming from above us from around the face of the hill was what could only be described as a herd of some sort of Albanian man-eating beast. And we heard, we heard the herd coming. And so the three 16-year-old manly men run in fear for our life down the very mountain or foothill that we had just climbed. And when I say we ran down it, we ran down it for a couple steps, and then we fell the rest of the way. And I, and I remember we got we, uh, rolling to a stop at this clearing, and we are terrified for our life. And there's a moment where I'm laying on my back. I kid you not, my friend Carl is over to the side, and he's telling me he thinks he broke his ankle. And I remember saying, Carl, you didn't break your ankle. Just calm down. Like, we'll get through this. You know, and I don't know where Luke had went. We were like, we lost Luke. We don't know what happened to Luke. They got him. And we're laying, I'm laying there next to Carl. And in a moment of quiet, I just, we just hear some whistling. And the next sound was more terrifying than the herd. After we heard the whistle, we heard the laughter of all of our friends. And what we hadn't realized was that we were on the wrong path the whole time that there was an adjacent path that we were supposed to go on, we had wandered into Albanian shepherd territory. And what had happened is two of Albania's fiercest sheepdogs had, had done what they were trained to do. And they had chased us down the mountain. Now, I do not know how they managed and how they strategized to make themselves sound so large and so many. But they did. And so our group, we kind of re, reconnect with our group. We're standing there. We're embarrassed. We have bloody knees. Carl still thinks he broke his ankle. We're in a circle here. And the, the guide that we were supposed to stay with is yelling up towards the mountain that we had just ran down in Albanian. And, and we look up, and um, uh, emerging from the path that, uh, that we had just come down was a shepherd and two of the fiercest border collies you'd ever seen in your life. And they come, and I, had, I remember having this surreal moment. I'm embarrassed. Uh, all, everyone had just watched us tumble down and scream and fear. And we're all now standing in a circle. And literally, it's me, Carl, and two sheepdogs right next to him and the shepherd. And the shepherd's straight out of the Old Testament. Like, like you would think, like, from what he was wearing, he had a, he had a walking stick, and he looked like a boss. And he begins to speak through the translator to us, telling us that um, we were on his territory and his dogs had done what they were trained to do. 
and that he had stopped them. He had called them off by his whistle. And I remember saying, basically saying, oh, I, I remember hearing the whistle. But in my 16-year-old, like, like, naivete, I said, there's no way that you stopped the, the onslaught of those dogs with a whistle. I basically told this Albanian shepherd to prove it to me. And so it, through the translator, I'm like, and my, my youth pastor, I, I'm sure, was loving this. I said, basically, prove it. And he, as, as word got back to him through the translator, he whistles again. And those dogs, they got up, their ears were back, their tail was back. And they, I mean, they went from friendly border collies a couple feet away to ready to, to pounce. And then he whistled again, and they literally sat down, like, started licking each other. And I was... I was in awe. I was like little 16-year-old Cody. If you would ask me in that moment what I wanted to do with my life, I wanted to be an Albanian shepherd. <laughs> the power that that man had over these man-eating beasts with a whistle was just the rest of the trip. We had like four days left, and the whole time, like it was like I think we were supposed to be sharing the gospel, but I think we were more like meeting people on the street. Have you met a shepherd? Do you know your shepherds here are amazing have you ever encountered one of your shepherds? They're, they're insane. What I had experienced in that moment was a Luke 8, Jesus calms the storm moment. So let's go to Luke 8 and read what I'm talking about. You know the setting. I just gave it away. There's a storm. Jesus is asleep below deck. The, uh, the, there's some disciples that were fishermen on the boat, and a storm hits. So let's pick this up, Luke 8, uh, I believe in verse 22. Uh, well, okay, I'll, we'll go with, I'll let the Bible set it up, not me. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they set, sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So here's an illustration of human fear that meets godly fear. The disciples were afraid for their life. They thought they were going to die. Jesus wakes up and calms the storm. And as he calms the nature around them, the disciples have a moment where they're looking at their friend, they're looking at the teacher, they're looking at Jesus, and they're realizing this is God. This is not just another teacher. He controls nature. He's all-powerful. Water and wind, water and air obey the sound of His voice, and in fear and amazement and awe, they begin talking to one another who is this? We thought this was the teacher, but this is God. And in awe and reverence, they realized that they were in the presence of the Almighty. You see, human fear draws us away. Just like with me, with the Albanian shepherd, I was in awe. <laughs> I was in awe of the power and the authority that that man carried over two of Albania's fiercest dogs. Now, these disciples were in awe and reverence of God in the form of Jesus commanding the wind and the waves. See, the difference between human fear and godly fear. Human fear causes us to pull away. Godly fear causes us to draw near in awe 
and reverence. So here's the working definition that we're going to use for the definition of what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. I have it on a slide for you. To live in the fear of God is to live in overwhelming awe and reverence of who he is and to acknowledge that his thoughts are higher and his ways are better. So here's the, here's the reality. We have to put God in his rightful place. We have to, it's easy for us to reduce him to one of us or elevate us to him. But we, if we're going to have a correct revelation, a correct understanding, if we're going to operate in the, the fear of the Lord, we have to start by saying, God is God and we are not. I mean, it's like the most simple thing in the world, but it is so hard for our human minds to understand and grasp. The story of the Bible is about God. It's not about us. We are not the center of the universe. We are not all-powerful. We are not all-knowing. We don't know. It does not matter. The smartest person in this room, in this state, in this country, his thoughts are higher. He is God. He is the authority. And we have to give him that authority in our life. We have to live daily in awe of who he is, in awe of his power, in awe of his majesty, in reverence and respect that he is God and we are not, and that will lead us to draw near to him, not pull away. See, in a room this size, uh, on the topic of fear, um, it's so easy for us, some of us in this room, just like Drew was talking about last week, when authority is abused, when, when relationships of authority are not done right, we are caused to operate in human fear and to ascribe that to God. That we live in fear that God is going to give us the back of his hand. That God, if we, if we make a misstep, he's going to rebuke us and it's going to be us that are smited, not the, the wind and the waves. And we, we operate in a false sense of fear that causes us to draw away from God. When the reality is, to live in awe, to live in reverence, to give God the authority He has and deserves causes us, it should cause us to draw closer to Him. Everything that God does is about relationship. And the fear of God is no different. The fear of God should draw us closer to the heart of God. Here we go. So, the fear of God and the love of God are connected. And if we don't have, if one of those is out of balance, out of whack, then we don't have a whole picture, uh, we don't have a healthy whole relationship. So let's just, let's just go there for a second. If, we, if we're just going to camp out in the love of God, in the relational side of God, and get more revelation of how much He loves us, and what he did for us, which we should do, we should pursue greater revelation of the love of God. But if we don't pursue the fear of God, if we don't balance that love with the fear of God, what we, how we live is we want the blessings of relationship without the boundaries, and it's not healthy. If you think about it, no good, healthy parent would dote on their child and love and love and love and love and give them no boundaries. That would be unhealthy. We would think that that's bad parenting. But it, oftentimes, if we don't focus on who are we giving our awe and respect, whose opinion matters most, and if it isn't God, if we're not living in the fear of God, then we're in a dysfunctional relationship where we want more blessings, we want all the good feelings, we want the love, but we don't care for the boundaries, 
and it's unhealthy. There's some people in the room that don't have that problem. You focus more on the fear. You, for whatever reason, the way you were raised or, or a relationship, a parent, a teacher, a coach, you have been ingrained in the fear of God more so than the love. You've been ingrained, I have to do everything right, everything perfect. I have to live in human fear of God. And if I misstep, I'm going to mess everything up and I will have no right to the love of God. That's called religion. That's religion. Rules without relationship are, is religion. So we have to balance. If we're, if, we're, if we're way erring over here, I just I don't really want to talk about or think about the, the fear of God, or I don't really want to think about that. You just want to live in the love. That's great, but there's going to be a disconnect in your relationship because you're just wanting all the, the blessings, but the boundaries are for your good. And if we don't realize that, we'll never fully embrace living in the fear of God. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Um, the backdrop of this story is Moses has just come down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He's just told the people. The people of God had been clamoring and crying out for the rules of how to live a, a godly way. God uh, uh, spoke to Moses, gave him the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down, tells all the people. And then we, this is, so that's the scene. All the people are gathered around the mountain where Moses had just received the Ten Commandments. And when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So let's break this down. First off, I love that in the mid, like there is a, there is a display of power happening. God is showing off. There is a storm happening around this mountain as he has just spoken with Moses. And I love the idea that there's a trumpet playing. Like, it, it, yeah, it's like the trumpet of heaven is probably what it was. But I like to think that somewhere, some guy just pulled out a trumpet in the midst of the chaos and was like, I'm going to add to this. <laughs> this thing needs a trumpet. And, and the, 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 there's just chaos happening. And the people are afraid. And what does f human fear cause? It causes, you can leave that up, Julie. Uh, the human fear causes distance. So they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance. If we operate in the fear of God the same way that we operate in human fear, it will cause us to create distance that we were never supposed to have. Human fear always creates distance, relationally or just like physiologically, like fight or flight. You, you, you want some distance there. It's right. It's a rightful distance. But in this sense, it's not like the relational aspect, the relationships that we have, uh, that we have fear in, in our human sense, we want to pull away from. That's not what we were designed. That's, that's, that's how humans do it. That's not how God intended. So if we operate... Human, like humans, in human fear, in respect to the fear of God, we will pull away and create distance that was never supposed to be there. And the next thing, they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us, because we'll die. Here's the deal, and catch this. If we operate out of human fear when it comes to God, we will abdicate our right to have personal encounters, and we will let someone else do it for us. 
because we'll be too afraid of what God might say or he might do. There are institutions where this exists. There are relationships. We can rely on our pastors, our parents, our friends. You have the great relationship with God, and you just tell me what to do. I don't want to go to God myself because I don't know what he's going to say. If we operate as humans when it comes to the fear of the Lord, we give up our right to encounter God for ourselves. Now, we don't give it up like God doesn't take it. We just give it to other people. You encounter God for us, and then you relay the message, and we'll do whatever he said. That's not how it was supposed to be. The fear of God is meant to push us into relationship. It ends with Moses saying, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. It's for our good. His heart it was literally what Moses is saying is, God put on this display of power and authority that you might be afraid, but realize, don't pull away as a human normally would. Press in, be in awe of me, of my power. Put me in the rightful place of your heart. Give me the authority I deserve, and you will draw near, and I will protect you. This is like, like when the Bible talks about, the, like, we camp in the shadow of his wing. It's his bigness and his authority and his might that shouldn't lead us to tremble and fear, but it should draw us to be as close as we can to him. Because he's the safest place, because his ways are better, his thoughts are better. This entire series was built on this idea. There are a lot of ways you can live your life, but God's way is better. There's a lot of ways that you can do relationships, you can do any, anything we've talked about, but God's is better. He, his heart for us would, would be to look at us and say, be in awe of who I am, that you might not go your own way because your own way leads to destruction. I know what you need. I know how I've created this whole thing to work. I am the one. Be in awe. Be in reverence. Sure, tremble a little bit under the power of my might, but don't run away and be afraid that I'm going to give you the hand. Come close that I would protect you. Amen? Everything God does is for our good and it's for relationship. We could add to the definition of, of um, the fear of the Lord. His ways are, are better. His thoughts are higher. His ways are better. And His motives are pure. His motive for wanting us to live in fear of Him is to get us to live in awe and respect for Him. You know how easy it is? The human condition, we, who are we right now, who are you right now living in awe and reverence of? And so often it's easy for that person to be yourself or to be your friends or to be your family or to be, to, to, it can be anything to put, put in there. There's a common phrase in the Christian world, the fear of man. We've got to get over the fear of man. What are we saying when we say that? We've got to get over this idea that man has ultimate authority. Man has ultimate right to speak in and to put identity on us. Man has everything we need, and, and man's opinion is what we should value most. That's what we're saying all the time. We have to get over. Well, what we need to do is get over it and give it to God. If, if we don't, we have that incomplete sense of, um, I just want the blessings but not the boundaries. And it's just not a healthy, God, want, God knows that we need protection. He knows that we need 
to be in awe. Let's be in awe of him. I want to I uh, kind of wrap up with this story. Um, Shepherd, my son, has finally made his way into a sermon. If you've been with us for a while, I talk a lot about Eleanor, um, but she gets a pass this, on this one. Shepherd is 16 months old, so um, he doesn't talk much, so it's hard for him to get into the messages, I guess. But uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, laying on our couch, and in our living room, we have um, a, a, fire, a mantle and a fireplace. And so I was laying on the couch. Shepherd was playing with his toys kind of uh, on the floor. And of course, like, um, like all dads sometimes once in a blue moon do, I got distracted. Uh, I was on my phone. I got distracted. And when I looked up, Shepard, who was supposed to be pushing a truck at my feet, had climbed the mantle, had opened the fireplace doors, and was about three-quarters into the fireplace. Now, we have a gas fireplace, and it wasn't on, but just logic told me it's probably not good for him to be crawling around in the fireplace. And so that moment, I was kind of, honestly, I was startled. I expected to see him right here, and instead, he's like going into the chimney. And so I go, Shepherd William, no, sir. And I'm like, and as I'm saying, I'm like, he doesn't speak English. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to go get him. I'm going to have to go. But he's at the age, 16 months, he doesn't speak English, but he understands tone. And he's actually learning, um, at least we've convinced ourselves that he knows what we mean, but when we put our finger down, it means get down. We think he knows. He'll never be able to tell us if we're right. So we're, we're right. <laughs> because no one will ever tell us we're wrong, but we're convinced. So I'm looking at him in the fireplace. I'm still laying down like a great dad. I look over, Shepherd William, get down, get down. And then I'm like, oh, I, should, I, should probably go, I should probably get up to go get him. So I sit up, and as I sit up, he turns and, and you know, looks behind him. He sees me, and he backs out of the fireplace. He, I don't know why he did this. He closes the fireplace doors. I was like, okay. Then he crawls off the mantle backwards. Then he turns. Now, in that moment, I'm like, why did I not video this? This is, like, how amazing of a parent am I? Like, my son doesn't even understand the words I'm speaking, but he gets me. We're just right here. So he, cli- he, he climbs off the mantle. He turns, and he looks at me. And with, like, a little tear in his eye, he runs. He's really good at running now. He runs to the couch, and he crawls up, and he gets on my lap. And he just laid his head on my lap. Oh, man, it was powerful. I didn't know what was happening. I was like, did I bust you for doing something way greater than just climbing in the, what were you doing in there? I didn't know. But, but in that moment, his little, his little 16-month-old heart and mind didn't know why he wasn't allowed to climb and in in, in play in the fireplace. He didn't know why I used his middle name. But what he understood was, I think, I think where dad is is where safety is. And see, it would have been real easy for him to crawl down, start throwing a fit, and run to the corner, run away, and not want to be around me, afraid that I was going to get mad at him or upset. But he turned, and with a little tear, he ran, and he climbed, and he laid down on my lap. And in that moment, I'm laying there. This was a couple weeks ago, and I go, God, what are you, what are you teaching me right here? To live in the fear of the Lord is to live in ultimate awe and reverence and respect for God. 
so much so that we would run to his arms rather than run away. And when he speaks, we listen. When he says, don't climb in the fireplace, we don't say, but I think it's a good idea. We say, I don't know why you don't want me in the fireplace, but you're dad. And you know, you know what I need and what I don't need. We've got to take ourselves off the throne. This life, the more we make this life about us being the ultimate authority in our life, the more it leads to destruction. The, The more we make this life about us getting what we need, when we need it, how we need it, the more it leads to destruction. It's counterintuitive for our little human uh, minds to understand, but there's no other person or God or anything that we need to live in fear of because no other God has set us free. No other God has paid the price. There's no one in this world, doesn't matter how popular they are or how influential they were in your life, we can honor people and we can respect people and we can learn from people, but the moment we put them on the throne, we're missing it. The moment we care about what they think, ultimately, more than what God thinks, we're missing it. The human heart is, was designed to live in awe. And if we don't train it to live in awe of the goodness of God, it will find someone else. And the Bible is clear. Every other way leads to destruction. But in the mercy of God, the grace of God, He's speaking to us again and He's saying, live in awe of me that you might not go on sinning, that you might, cov- that you might covenant with me, live in my ways, that you would, you would respect my authority. The way I say to do life would be the ultimate decider of how you make decisions and you would be set free to walk in everything I have. See, we live in awe and reverence, and we live in the love of God. We love because He first loved us. The ultimate display, the ultimate moment, the ultimate love was God coming down in the form of a man in Jesus. On our behalf, dying, paying the price that you and I might be set free. That's something to live in awe of, a God that would do that. A God that would think of that. There's no, I, I tell you, you can go and you can uh, re- research every other God that we have ever created and defined, every other religion. There is no other way out there where that, that teaches a God that would become man and die on our behalf. It is the mercy and the goodness and the amazingness of God that we're standing here in His grace and in His mercy. The, I mean, we could do, I could just go on and on. You, like, Every mo- like the, I don't know how I'm talking right now. I'm in. I, we are. We're, we talk. I don't get it. The human body. I like. There's doctors all over the room. I'm seeing. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, how are we here? How do we do the things we do? How do how do my kids have personalities that we didn't teach them to have? How do they have dreams already that we didn't teach them to have? How, like the, the the life we live is a miracle, and it's amazing, and the distortion of the enemy has been from day one to get us to worship ourselves. Wow, look at me. I'm able to talk. I have no idea how I'm doing any of the things I'm doing. Read Romans 8. It talks of we just, we worship each other. We worship the created instead of the creator, and it leads to destruction. God's heart 
is that we would live in awe of him, that he would be our ultimate authority, and that we would realize it's for our good. Amen? When I talked about Jesus, I want to end like we do every time. The ultimate display of love, the ultimate display of sacrifice, the ultimate thing to stand in awe of, God coming down to earth in the form of a man, Jesus, living a perfect life and brutally being murdered on our behalf that we might be set free, that we might be restored to relationship. And the teachings of Jesus are there to teach us, remind us, this is the way to go. His ways are better. His thoughts are higher. Jesus, sacrifice on the cross that you and I might have life and have life abundant. I want to close our service by just saying, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, I want to, I want to simply say there's a prayer that the Bible talks about to believe Jesus is who he says he is. To be, and to believe it so much that we would confess it with our mouth. It's about the posture of our heart. That's salvation, the gift of salvation. It does not matter what you did yesterday or this morning. The gift of salvation exists for all of mankind. All we would have to do is, is call on the name of Jesus and believe he is who he says he is. So I want to pray. You can pray with me. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. You can, make it, you can use my words, your words. It's about your heart. Is it about Jesus? And then we'll, we'll go into a little bit of ministry time. So, Jesus, we worship you tonight. We love you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, I say, uh, I can't do it anymore on my own. I need you. I don't even fully understand what it all means, but I need you. I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You're the only way. You're the only truth, and you're the only life. I put my trust in you tonight. I give you my life. Amen.